Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, alongside my co-host, Matt Miller. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and at Bloomberg.com slash podcast. Matt, I got a problem with our next guest. I'm just going to lay it out there. He is a big-time University of North Carolina Chapel Hill guy, but... We, we beat up on them last weekend in Chapel Hill, so I, I guess we can deal with it. Jay Bryson, Managing Director, Chief Economist at Wells Fargo. Don't put up with him, Jay. <laughs> you know, it's, it's going to be so sweet when we beat you guys in Cameron. All right, we'll see about that. That'll be fun. All right, Jay, um, you know, we got a lot of inflation out there, whether you, you see it at the gas pump, you see it at the supermarket. Is this something that could really be a problem for this economy? You know, so... You know, I think we think that inflation is going to be stickier than many people, I think, appreciate uh, this year. You know, by the end. So right now, if you look at the, the overall rate of CPI inflation, it's running about 7 percent or so. We get a print tomorrow. Uh, we think by the end of the year, it'll still be running close to 4 percent or so. I mean, that's just a, that's a high number for most people. So I, I don't think that this we're on the cusp of the you know, 1976, 1977 in terms of you're looking at double-digit growth rates in inflation. But I do believe it's going to be higher, and that then the, the problem comes in is how does the Federal Reserve react to that, right? If they really start to clamp down on the brakes, you potentially could have a big slowdown later this year going into next year. So uh, how hard do you think they will step on the brakes? Because this Fed – seemed very dovish before um, Jay Powell's reconfirmation or renomination. And all of a sudden, they seem pretty hawkish. Even the doves, even the candidates that the left wanted um, to replace Powell, seem pretty hawkish on this inflation. No, that's that's right. They're all singing from the same hymnal right now. Although I, mean, I would point out that the hawkish members in recent weeks have kind of, you know, dialed it back a little bit. I mean, I think they're even recognizing, look, we don't need to really step on or want to step on the brakes here. That said, I mean, we're looking for the market's more or less price for five rate hikes over the course of this year. We also think the Fed will take steps to start to um, unwind its balance sheet um, probably in the middle of the year. That's a form of tightening as well. And so, I mean, there is, you know, there, there's tightening coming up. That said, the, the underlying fundamentals of the economy, when you look at balance sheets of households, you look at balance sheets of individuals uh, or, or uh, of businesses, they're all pretty solid right now. So the underlying fundamentals of the economy remain pretty good, It should, you know, and, and pretty conducive to I'll call it solid growth this year. You know, nothing like we saw last year, but we also don't think we're looking at a you know a recession, um, you know, in the foreseeable future. By the way, Jay, you um, expect inflation to continue through 2022, not at seven percent levels you just said, but maybe four percent. That's still twice um, the Fed target. BlackRock uh, a couple of days ago put out uh, um, a research report saying the problem is that people are buying more stuff. I love dope stuff yeah my wife loves experiences and okay. services she would rather go on a trip and get a massage i would rather buy I'm uh, her. Well, a motorcycle I'm or a car um is is the issue that more and more people through the pandemic uh put away their um, services needs and replaced it with stuff yeah so if you know so what has been really strong has been good spending 
And so when you look at the CPI, again, it's a year-over-year rate of 7% right now. Roughly five percentage points of that seven is coming from goods. So two-thirds is coming from goods. And we only spend a third of our money on goods. So goods are punching well above their fighting weight right now. Now, you know, there's also been probably a fair amount of good spending that has been pulled forward, right? I mean, you know, during the pandemic, everyone went out and they bought a trampoline or a basketball hoop for the kids. You don't have to replace that every year. You know, the same thing for cars and things of that nature. So as you go forward, which you know, what we expect to see, and we're kind of actually seeing it, is, is a pivot from good spending. That should slow down. The supply chains will become unclogged. And so, you know, the, the impulse to inflation coming from good should start to cool off a little bit. But we still do have some pipeline inflationary pressures in terms of services coming through. And so that's one of the reasons why we think inflation is going to remain elevated. You know, again, I don't think it's going to go up significantly from here. We're not, I don't think we're going from 7% to 10%. But, you know, at the end of the year, if you're still running 4%, that's still kind of hot for many folks. Jay, what's the risk that our Federal Reserve makes a mistake here and may it just goes too fast, too far, whether it's a 50% rate hike in March or whether the, the tightening is more aggressive than the market thinks? It seems like they've been telegraphing things pretty well, but what's the chance of a mistake? You know, it's not insignificant. Um, you know, the, pro- the problem is when you start to move, and, and when the Fed moves, historically when it moves, it continues to move in the same direction for a while. Okay, Um, you know, so we don't think we're going to see a 50 basis point rate hike in March, but we think we'll see 25 in March, 25 in May, 25 in June, and then start to wind down the balance sheet in July. You know, the issue is that it takes a while for that policy tightening to actually start to show up in the economic data. And so whenever they start to move, you know, in a in a tightening sort of direction, there's always going to be the risk that they potentially could move um, too fast. Now, you know, you know, fortunately, the market does tend to send signals. Um, you know, if you know, if they do start to move a little too fast, the stock market probably is going to wobble. Uh, bond yields, uh, you know, you could get a potentially inverted yield curve yep. in that. And, and you know, so the, the Federal Reserve does pay attention to the signals that the market is sending out. And so, yep. All right. you know, we'll, we'll keep Absolutely. an eye on that. All right, Jay, thank you so much for joining us. Jay Bryson, Managing Director, Chief Economist for Wells Fargo. And Jay knows that I root for Duke and for whoever's playing Carolina. Uh, but he did pretty well there for Carolina grad. Jay Bryson, Wells Fargo. Let's continue our discussion of the gaming space, this time on the hardware side. We're joined by Andy Paul, CEO and founder of Corsair Gaming. That is uh, a publicly traded company on NASDAQ. CRSR is the ticker. Uh, it's about a $2 billion market cap. Uh, stock's pretty flat for the year, down about 50% over the trailing 12 months. They reported some numbers last night, a little bit better than expected on the EPS line. Let's get the latest. Andy, thanks so much for joining us here. What's the key takeaway from uh, the quarter that you reported last night? Well, as you mentioned, uh, it was a great quarter. Uh, we were pretty happy with the results. And um, I think what everyone's starting to understand now is that uh, because of the surge in activity uh, from gamers uh, during the shelter-at-home period, that now we have to compare a post-pandemic quarter, which was Q4, not, it just, it just finished, compare that with Q4-19. Uh, and that represented about 55% growth. So uh, we're pretty pleased with that. Yeah. Uh, listen, I mean, you 
can't do anything about the fact that your business got a huge boost during lockdown. We were just talking about other companies that in a way faced the same curse because when that lockdown lifts, um, you don't have the same kind of tailwind behind you that you that you all of a sudden did. What what can you do or what did you do during that period that you think is really important? Well, firstly, um, let me just correct one thing, because the nice thing about uh, people that buy um, gear for any kind of sport, including gaming, is there's a pretty short refresh cycle. And so all the new gamers that started to buy gear in uh, 2020 and the first half of 21, um, you know, we'll look at about a two to four year refresh cycle. So we'll see a repeat of this in, uh, you know, late 22, 23, 24. So that's what uh, we're pretty excited about. Now, what we did during that surge of activity was obviously scramble against uh, massive supply chain issues. Uh, and so, you know, most of the effort was around the operations of just getting stuff onto the water and into the country. As you know, massive uh, increases in lead times of costs from uh, container shipments from Asia. I, I want to get back to the supply chain, but with all due respect, I have to say, even as someone who spends thousands of dollars playing video games and wastes countless hours, I don't how understand. Can? How can you call it a sport? <laughs> I mean, I will sit there with a full bag of Doritos and a six pack playing Call of Duty, and I don't feel like That's I've worked vision. out much. You know? Well, yeah, maybe maybe not in your in your physical body. But here's the interesting thing that uh, is making it more like sports. You know, everyone's starting to talk now about metaverse and what the options are, what the opportunities are in there. And uh, what's clear to me is that most sports involve social interaction. So if you think about any sport you do, whether you go mountain biking or skiing with friends, there's a lot of social interaction, probably more time than actually spent on the sport. And that's what we're starting to see uh, gaming turn into. And so you see these platforms like Roblox, like uh, Fortnite, where people are spending as much time socializing with each other as they are you know, playing the, playing the game. So I think that's what we've got to look forward to. So, it, you know, Mark Zuckerberg has really kind of raised the bar in terms of awareness on the metaverse. And I, I think I'm just starting to kind of come to grips of what that could be, what that could look like. Um, but but I, I do get the gaming aspect. How do you guys think about the metaverse as a, you know, as a growth driver for just gaming in general? Yeah, so I, th I think it's a trend that's already happening. I mean, I, I know Mark's coined the latest label, but but there's a growth trend that's been going on for a while. Um, and this was, you know, now we've got the hindsight. It should have been expected that, um, you know, people would want to spend a lot of time, you know, with each other in a social environment. Now, the good thing for us is that any time spent in, we'll call it the metaverse for this conversation, but any time, you know, spent on interactive entertainment through the Internet, you need to buy gear to do that. So you need a platform, whether it's a, you know, console or a gaming PC, and you need keyboards, mice, headsets, controllers. Um, so as more people spend more time, then we would expect to continue to send more, sell more gear. What's your expectation for how we uh, live in the metaverse in the, in, in, in the future? I mean, typically people think um, VR headset, and I just can't buy into that. I would much prefer to be in a room with you know, all, all four walls are monitors or something different than a VR headset. But how does it look to you? Yeah, well, that's true. I, I can't imagine people are going to spend a lot of time walking around with big, heavy goggles on. So I think that that part of it, um, 
you know, in terms of the uh, virtual um, aspect, I think is more like everyone I know is talking about AR or augmented reality rather than virtual reality, which you can do with just some, some uh, fairly lightweight glasses. But I think the important thing is not so much that aspect, but the fact that, you know, people are going to live, spend a lot of time in a virtual world, and they're going to want to have a digital, a digital personality that in many ways is a little different from their physical personality. Hmm. And that's why I think a lot of the opportunities are in terms of um, you know, how people acquire those digital personalities. You should see my character in Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> I have no idea what he's, he's awesome. talking about. Yeah. He's, Does he I have feel a name? like he's better than me. Um, <laughs> Does he have a name? <laughs> no. <laughs> Andy, Andy, let's get back to the um, day-to-day uh boring business of um, running your company. Uh, Not that it's boring, but, you know, the supply chain issues have been probably frustrating. Let's put it that way. Do you see them alleviating now? I mean, um, in, you know, post-pandemic Corsair, are you able to get your hands on um, materials and chips faster, better? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So um, I think that there's there's several parts of this, right? One is the semiconductor shortage, and that's certainly affected a lot of our higher-end, more complex products, that we've largely taken care of by just adjusting inventory. Um, and so that, that, you know, and finding alternate suppliers and that sort of thing. Um, so that's not really an issue anymore. Uh, the bigger issue is that container costs, which used to be sort of a few years ago, $3,000 to bring a container from Asia to the U.S., is now fifteen dollars to $20,000. Wow. wow. So when you've got some, and, and quite honestly, there's no reason for that. Um, I mean, I look at this and I think, okay, either those prices are going to go down or every private equity company is going to start investing in container companies. Right. So uh, we know that's going to normalize. uh, We hope we're going to see more of that this year. Uh, There's other issues that are related to not just cost, but, you know, the the COVID situation, uh, especially recently with Omicron, has caused a massive shortage of labor. And so... The big holdup now in terms of time, you know, it doesn't take any longer for ships to go across the ocean, but getting unloaded, getting yep. them onto trucks, yep. getting them drivers to take them to uh, hubs and stores, that's the biggest issue we right. have at the moment. All right, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. I uh, really appreciate your time. Andy Paul, CEO and founder of Corsair Gaming. All right, you know, well, we got the S&P up 1.3%. It looks like it's just another of those buy on the dips. We had the S&P down around you know, 11, 12%. And here we are making moves higher for, you know, the last uh, several days. Uh, Let's bring in somebody who does this stuff for a living. Guy Davis, Managing Director and Portfolio Manager for GCI Investors. Guy, you know, maybe maybe I'm just getting lazy, but I just buy the dips and I don't think much more than that. What are you seeing in these markets? Hi, good morning, everyone. Thanks for having me. Um, certainly, yeah, I would say we've been in a situation for quite some period of time where the, the buy the dip mantra continues to to hold. I know there are some people saying that you know the Fed puts about to disappear as interest rates starts going up. But honestly, I think you know we've seen such volatile markets just in the first few weeks since the beginning of 2022. Um, one of the things I always think back to is that I think realistically there's not really anybody who really knows where where markets are going in the short term. And certainly our approach is always that periods like this typically provide a huge amount of opportunity. And what you often find is some very attractive companies get end up getting sold off 
quite aggressively, even even when they ne- don't necessarily need to. And certainly as we go through this earnings season, there's a couple of stocks that I'd love to pick out and, and talk about in, in a little more detail. But you're seeing very significant punishment of individual names on specific earning days if there's the slightest whiff of increased capex or yeah. lowered guidance for the next, next couple of quarters. That's a th- real theme that we've been seeing this earnings season. Is Facebook one of those? I've just been looking at the DES page and noticed the market cap is just $600 billion, which in the age of yeah. these mega caps feels minuscule, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Facebook is, has been a, a fascinating company over the last, you know, I'd say five, 10 years, but certainly in the last 12, 18 months. I mean, you think fundamentally... Facebook owns the largest and deepest network that the globe has ever seen. They're trading at like $3 per user. Exactly. And and there is a, and, you know, I, I think Facebook's a great example of, you know, I mentioned the, the, the difference between kind of um, individual stock price moves and, and business value. $230 billion was wiped off Facebook on earnings day um, recently. Now, in terms of kind of efficient market hypothesis, it's kind of hard to justify the fact that the, the value of Facebook as an entity changed $230 billion in a single day. Now, realistically, what was happening in the earnings was, you know, there's a, there was a, it was, to me, it was a very kind of politically and regulatory fo- focused earnings call. You could hear from, um, from Mark and from Cheryl, there was a, a real focus on, hey, we're being, being, we're being beaten down here. TikTok's beating us in reels. Um, Apple and Google have colluded against us when it comes to the iOS changes. You saw a big jump in kind of CapEx spending for the likes of Facebook from this having to spend a huge amount of money to try and replicate the same sort of analytics that they used to get from iOS and they now don't get anymore. That's a big cost for them and it's going to roll through for the next few years. You're also seeing a massive amount of CapEx going through for the metaverse. And honestly, I think Facebook as an entity, I think, is arguably presenting fantastic value today in a sense that it's trading at a cheaper multiple than IBM. It's trading at a, one of the cheapest multiples we've seen for a considerable period of time. And it's still a company that's growing earnings 20% plus a year. And it's still a company that's generating 30% plus incremental margins. The real question mark comes with all of this additional capex is going to spend into the metaverse is a significant kind of question mark as to how easily is that going to monetize and how is that going to play out? Right. That to me is the big risk factor even accounting for that, you've got core Facebook, which to me is yep. cheap as we stand today. All right. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting uh, potential entry point for some folks. I feel like maybe the, they missed uh, some of the upside for Facebook slash meta. Guy Davis, managing director and portfolio manager for GCI Investors, giving us his thoughts on these markets, which we appreciate. All right, let's talk cybersecurity ransomware. It is everywhere, and it pops up every once in a while with a high-profile story, but we know it's out there uh, every single day. Christy Wyatt, CEO and president of Absolute Software, that's a NASDAQ-listed security stock. ABST is the ticker symbol. Um, Christy, thanks so much for joining us here. I'd love to just get a 30,000-foot view of how you guys view cybersecurity, the size of it, the the growth rate? What are some of the big issues that you guys are looking at? Well, good morning. Um, so I, I think we're, we've entered into a whole new era of cybersecurity, especially for enterprise, right? As, as everybody's employees are now working from home, it's it's had us 
rethink almost everything we knew about how to protect the employee, and that just makes employees incredibly vulnerable to things like ransomware. And that's why you're seeing this acceleration of attacks around these topics. It's because these organizations are more vulnerable right now. Yeah, so um, are we able to defend ourselves as well as are, are we creating defenses um, that keep up with the attacks or, or are the criminals kind of, um, you know, outmaneuvering the, the, the police in this case? I think it's more of a shift, right? I think, I think we definitely, organizations are doing their very best to keep up and there's no lack of spending. We've seen the investment in cybersecurity accelerate over a year. I think we, we talk about a, you know, is the investment, Christy, is the investment growth consistent with, because it strikes me, and, and this is your point, and I think it's a great one. We had everybody kind of moving out of the prison and into the wild. You know, everyone has taken her <laughs> or his company laptop out of the out of the building and home. And now they're on their own Wi-Fi networks, which aren't protected. And now they're, you know, at Starbucks and you can look over their shoulder. Like every, every security measure is gone all of a sudden. So. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and so a lot of the things that we used to rely on to protect users, like protecting the network. I know people use the, the castle and the moat analogy when the previous regime, right? We all seemed you were in the building and we could protect you by watching you. And now you're at home. And so you hear people talk a lot about things like zero trust and moving a lot more of the intelligence out to the device so that your security is at home with you. And so I think this is a massive shift and it's driving a tremendous amount of change and investment, I think, across organizations that need to revamp their security strategy based on the risk profile changing and the landscape of what they need to protect has changed dramatically. And so there's a lot of, you know, this is one of those pivotal moments in the cyber landscape where everybody's making this massive shift all at the same time. How can small uh, and mid-sized businesses afford to do this, I wonder? I mean, I, I, I can see a company like, uh, you know, a Bloomberg going out and buying the best security, but I'm just not sure about some of these small and mid-sized businesses. It's a great point because the big, the big ransomware or the big cyber breaches you read about, you read about large security firms coming in and giving, you know, sort of the details of how they were compromised. And the attacks don't look incredibly different. It's just the stakes are higher. And so if you are a small business and or a small enterprise, you don't have access to these, those same resources. The two most important things I think that folks need to be investing in. Number one, you know, we talk a lot about detection and prevention. There's a lot of tools available to help you try to screen for and identify bad things coming into your organization. And you can, you know, you can select one of those tools. I think the second piece, and in my mind, you know, almost the more critical piece is you should assume that even if the largest organizations with all of their investment are getting compromised, you are ultimately going to be the recipient of a ransomware or some sort of cyber breach. It's going to happen. Mm. So you have to think about remediation. Like an example would be, you know, if you click on that email and your device freezes and asks you to pay ransom in order to get your data back, well, when that system freezes, you know, whatever organization you're running, it can no longer connect to that device. And so what we do uniquely is we can maintain a connection to that device because we're embedded in the hardware. And so when you think about your investment, you have to think about both sides. How do I know something bad is going on? And when something bad is going on, what am I going to do? How am I going to get my stuff back without it shutting my school down or my business down? And is this the, I mean, I know nothing about IT, but the, you have the first self-healing zero trust platform. Can you explain that to us? 
Yeah, the unique thing about Absolute is that we're embedded in the hardware of almost every PC and laptop that's been manufactured for the last 15 years. So over a half a billion devices have this capability in them. It's just to the customer to to sort of turn it on by working with, with Absolute. And so what that means is we can monitor the health of your security applications or the things you care about. And if they become compromised, we can heal them. With By heal them, we mean... We can fix them, repair them, reinstall them, so we can automate the recovery. And so if your employee is at home, I can't just tell you know IT to swing by your desktop and fix whatever's happened on your system. I have to be able to do that remotely. Yep. And because we're in the hardware, we have the ability to do that. Even when your security applications, your operating system may be in a state where it's not communicating right. with you anymore. And so... So this is a bit of that shift I'm talking about in, in, in sort of the approach, which yep. is if you assume everybody's not in the office and you assume bad things are going to happen, yep. you have to assume you have this lifeline. Um, Christy, I hope so we get – it's a different way of looking at it. I hope we get to get you back. Uh, not enough time and fascinating stuff. Christy Wyatt is the CEO and president of Absolute Software. She also was named one of the top 50 women in software as a service by the Software Report and uh, CEO of the Year by the Globe and Mail. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Matt Miller. I'm on Twitter at MattMiller1973. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.